The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. We're going through Galatians, as you know. A while back, we got through Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, and I had said in that sermon that I would be preaching that night on the question of why are we so hypocritical, and I didn't get an opportunity to preach that, and so I want to do that tonight. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, I want to read that just to kind of jog our memory. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We looked at this uh, in great detail that Sunday morning. And so that's not what we're going to do today is not go through this expositionally verse by verse because that's already been done. But we are going to look at the question, why do we struggle with being so hypocritical? And, but we need to remember the definition of what it is to be a hypocrite. And this is very important. This comes from the uh, Preaching the Word commentary, uh, one of the commentaries that I, I've been using and reading, gleaning from, and studying this. But listen to what it says. It says, from the way the word is often used on the evening news or political talk shows, you get the impression that a hypocrite is anyone who fails to live up to his or her ideals. In other words, They don't practice what they preach. But hypocrisy isn't simply failing to live up to what you believe. That's sin for sure, but it's not the particular sin of hypocrisy, nor is it what Paul accuses Peter and the other Jews of doing. When we live out our gospel convictions in one situation, but then cover them up in another, that is hypocrisy. And so living in the faith here on purpose and then on purpose living outside of the faith over here. Maybe it's based off of who's around or based off the situation, whatever it may be. That's really more of the focus of what it is to be a hypocrite. And we see people struggle with this all the time. Maybe even you yourself find yourself in these situations of where even you're debating in your head. Maybe you're not saying it like this, but this is how it is coming across. Should I be a hypocrite today or not? Right? And so I think there's four reasons for this. Uh, There might be more, but these are the four that I think we see. And I want to go over them together in some detail tonight. The first one is the reason that we're so hypocritical is we really simply do not believe the truth. Sometimes we just simply do not really believe the truth. It's faith in the Lord versus knowledge of the Lord. It's that battle that we sometimes face. And there's a very big distinction here. In fact, I would say it's so big that eternity weighs on it of having faith in the Lord versus knowledge of the Lord. This really has always been a problem since the beginning of Christianity. And we see it talked about in scripture in Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six, the writer of Hebrews brings this up. He says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away 
to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, this is a passage that is often used to try to prove that one can lose their salvation, which I think is a wrong way to interpret this passage and to take this passage when you look at it in its whole context. What I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here is that there are many who will sit in the pews of churches. There are many who will be family members with Christians who will hear the teachings of God's word. They will, they will know them. They will know them very much. They might even see the, the blessings that come along with it within their family. And so that's, that's the experience of, of tasting the heavenly gift but yet it never becomes true faith for them. It never becomes a a surrendering my life to this Lord, that I believe this wholeheartedly. All my faith goes into this. That that never happens in their life. And what happens is they they slowly slip away to where they get to the point where the writer of Hebrews says it almost becomes impossible to ever reach them again. It almost becomes impossible for them to come back into the fold and to enter the fold And it's because they didn't really believe the truth. Maybe they liked what it said. They liked what it heard. They liked the idea of eternal life. But when it got down to the nitty gritty of what it meant to have faith in Jesus, maybe it's the surrendering their life completely to him, that he is your Lord, that you are his. Maybe maybe they had a, a problem with this. See, many people struggle with this. They know Jesus. They've even seen him work. They really just don't have believing faith. This is one of the things that I struggle with as I look at a congregation and wonder, how many people here are struggling with that? How many people might that talk about as these pews are full in the morning of people who come in here each and every Sunday and they hear it and they might even say, I kind of like what I'm hearing, but yet there's no real faith in their life. There's no true belief in the things that they are hearing. I think this is an important question for us, and it's something that we should mull over. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says this, as he, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is why he writes, listen, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have it. And that's what John does as he, as he writes First John, he's wanting the people listening to his letter to know for sure that they have eternal life. And so I found this list compiled. It's on a, on a website. And it's 12 questions that come from the book of First John. And I, I want to read them. And again, I, I don't want to read these to cause you to stumble. I, I don't want to read these to cause you to doubt. I want to read these questions to see for you to have more assurance. That's my hope. That is my prayer. But the first question is this. Do you enjoy having fellowship with Christ and his redeemed people? We see this in 1 John 1, 3. Would people say you walk in the light or walk in the darkness? 1 John 1, 6 through 7. Do you admit and confess your sin? 1 John 1, 8. Are you obedient to God's word? 1 John 2, verse 3 through 5. Does your life indicate you love God rather than the world? 1 John 2, 15. Is your life characterized by doing what is right? 1 John 2, 29. Do you seek to maintain a pure life? 1 John 3, 3. Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? 1 John 3, 5 through 6. Do you demonstrate love for other Christians? 1 John 3, 14. 
Do you walk the walk versus just talking the talk? First John 3, 18 to 19. Do you maintain a clear conscience? First John 3, 21. Do you experience victory in your Christian walk? First John 5, 4. Again, as John would write that book, he says, I write these things so that you can know for sure that you are his. So let you know. God, God doesn't want us wandering, just wondering. Am I yours? Do you love me? Am I part of your family? God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be confident and sure that we are his and to have complete faith in him above just having a knowledge of him. But oftentimes when we struggle with that, when we struggle with, do I really believe this? It causes us to slip into hypocrisy uh, very easily. The second thing, is sometimes we fear man more than God. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I think the question that we have to ask when we come across a verse like that or we're contemplating this thing of hypocrisy is, what does it mean to fear man? What is the fear of man? You know, and I was thinking about that and praying about that. And when we, when we fear man, what we're doing is we start to worry more about what the world thinks about us than what God thinks about us. Our, our motivation and our drive is what will others think? That's always our concern. That is always our worry. And it's not just not for good reasons, but for prideful reasons, for, for selfish reasons. Because as Christians, we are called to live peaceably with other people. We are called to do good things. We are called to actually have a concern. I hope my neighbor likes me. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to be a good neighbor. I want him to like me. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when all of a sudden our driving force and our motivation becomes, I want to be accepted. I do not want to be shunned by this world. I I want them to like me. I want them to think well of me. I think then we can start to worry. To be honest, what came to my mind as I was writing these things down and thinking about it was social media. (laughs) If you're addicted to social media, I would argue you probably fear man more than God. I mean, that's just being pretty blunt, I know. But when I occasionally take a stroll on social media, it just seems like a bunch of prideful people trying to show off to impress others, to make their name known, to show that, they are of the world, and that the people of the world should like them. But we see here in this passage that the fear of man is not truthful. It's a, it's a snare. I don't know if you've ever made a snare or saw anything in a snare, but it's not a pleasant thing. When you set a snare to hunt something, it's deceitful. You try to hide it. You try to force that animal or that rabbit, whatever it may be, down a certain path so that it will get its head caught in your snare so that in the end it will die. And the Bible tells us that the fear of man is that snare. The things of the world, there's a trick. It's, it's deceit. It's a, it's a lie. I mean, Jesus lays this out for us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 28. He says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
See, we're called as Christians to not have any fear of man. We don't have to worry about what man thinks about us. As we share the gospel, as we live our life according to scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they don't like that. It doesn't matter if they're going to call bigots or whatever it may be. As we stick to his word, we don't fear man. We fear the Lord. Well, then we have to ask, well, what is that? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, this isn't a consuming fear. It's not a fear that brings us down to subjection because of wrath or because of fear from wrath. No, it's a fear of wanting to please and honor the one that we love. It's a fear of, we don't want to disappoint God, our Father, because of what he has done for us. He loves us with such great love that, as we talked about this morning, he's given us the righteousness of Christ. And so we want to honor him and we want to serve him. This is talked about to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20 through 21. It says, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God. Who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen? Right? We, we praise God. The fear of the Lord draws us to praise him, to honor him, and to worship him for all that he is. Yet, at the same time, I would say this. We still have to remember the power and the might of God. I think that we need to always think about those things. That always has to be remembered. His, his hatred of sin, his complete separation of sin because of his holiness and how scripture speaks of the punishment for sin, we do need to think about that. I don't think we should just let that go by. I don't think our attitude should be, well, I'm saved from that. I don't have to think about it anymore. No, I think we should remember it. And we need to remember that there is a line to walk in this. And I also think that this is what should drive our evangelism at times of knowing what will happen to that poor soul if they do not trust in Christ as their savior. Having compassion for them and love for them instead of coming across of what I see very often from Christians is you're gonna get what you deserve and I can't wait for it. Man, I hope that I never hear that come from my lips when it comes to a sinner. Because apart from God's grace, that would be me. Nothing I did to deserve that. Nothing I did to own that. But it's what Christ has done for me. And so I need to be praying, God, save that sinner. God, use me to share the truth with that sinner. I don't want to see them struggle. I don't want to see them punished when there's a free gift of grace here. So we have to ask ourselves, what do I fear more? Do I fear man or do I fear God? And so I have no doubt you will find yourself in situations this week when you'll have to ask that question. Am I going to be a hypocrite here? Am I going to fear my boss? Or am I going to fear, fear the Lord God Almighty? Am I going to fear my wife? Or am I going to fear Lord God Almighty? These are real questions that we have to live with, that we face each and every week. Sometimes show our true colors. Third thing, this kind of goes along with the second one. But sometimes we love man more than God. What does it mean to love man? Well, it's to find our satisfaction in the things of this world. Not just fearing what the world might do to us, not just fearing of what the world might think about us, but actually having a desire for the things of the world. And so I wrote a small little list. It's not much at all, but one I put was leisure, vacation, money, comfort, travel, relationships, hobbies, living life with this bucket list mentality. 
Living for now, living for today, thinking that I have to live this life well because it's the only life I have to live. Christian, that is so wrong biblically. (laughs) You have another life to live and it's going to be a glorious life. It's going to be the best life you've ever had, the best life you've ever experienced. Working with teenagers is interesting to listen to them and talk about Christ's return with them. And most of them will say, please put it off. I don't want him to come back yet. And when you ask them, there's reasons for that. What is it? Oh, they want to get married. They want to have kids. They, they want to, you know, have their own life. They want to get out from under mom and dad's thumb and experience the things of this world. But if I were to ask people a little more advanced in age who've lived a long life as, as a Christian and, and they're searching, and honestly, if I ask them, well, when do you think the Lord should return? You would say, 40 years ago. Right? I would give all that up for Christ to return. Why is that? Because we know that this world has nothing to offer us. But here's the thing. Satan is really good at marketing. He is one of the best at marketing and, and, and teaching us and showing us how we need the things of this world. How, how if we don't have it, that we're, that we're missing out. That, that we just, we, we need to have that. Or else we're not living our best life at this moment and Sadly, many, as many of you know, a lot of churches are teaching that now too. You can live your best life at this moment. You can be who you are and you can be happy here, enjoying what God has given you and they promote that and they make us more important than him. I think oftentimes when the love of man is shown more than the love of God, it's not in us loving other people, but we love ourselves more than we love God. It's more about me and it's more about I and the things that I want, the things that I need or I feel that I need. And so we tend to push God aside at times and we live the life of a hypocrite. Oh, we come to church and we'll sing the songs and we'll listen to the pastor and we might even say he did a good job. But we don't live that way. We know that we are our God, that we are the most important. Now, I do want to make note that I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy the things of this world because we have passages like Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, which I don't need to read, but which tell us that God blesses us with things of this world. Don't get me wrong. And we can enjoy them and we should enjoy them. When we go with family away, it's okay to enjoy our family if God's blessed us with a family. If you have a job where you make good money, it's okay that you have money. It really is. But the problem comes in when we start to treasure that above everything else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think a lot of times we find ourselves treasuring the things that this world has to offer. When in fact, what we should be treasuring is the Lord. And I really think this is one of the biggest problems in churches today. But to love God, to treasure up the things of the Lord, it's simply just become boring. It's really not that exciting. I gotta be honest with you. When I came in here this morning to preach to you guys about Abraham and being a child of Abraham, I thought they're gonna think, that is boring. 
And I thought, man, I, I need to liven this up. I need to get them excited about that. I want them to see how, how special this is. I want them to see how important this is and how this can be exciting. But I know I'm going to have people who've been here for 40, 50, 60 years, and they're going to think this is just a kid's story. I've known this forever. I know about Abraham. I know about the promise. Yes, he had many sons. I'm one of his. Great. What's next? I mean, honestly, that is a fear of mine. And when I look at your guys' faces sometimes, it's real. I'm making it up, okay? But loving God becomes boring when that should be our whole treasure. And so I want to ask you personally, why do you love God? What draws you to him? Do you meditate on those things? Do you, do you think about those things? Do you relish in those things? As much as you do say, I can't wait for my vacation to come up. Oh, I can't wait for shutdown to happen. I can't wait to get away with my wife. Again, those are not bad things. But when that becomes our treasure in life, there's a problem. And we start to play the hypocrite. Then lastly, and I completely steal this one. Uh, this is not my own at all. Uh, this comes from Josh Moody and No Other Gospel, one of the books I've been reading as I've been studying Galatians. But sometimes we simply do not understand the importance of our actions. When we play the hypocrite, when we put that mask on and knowingly turn from God to serve another God in front of people or whatever the situation might be, we simply do not understand the importance of our actions. And he puts this in four ways that I want to share with you, and I'll go quickly. Number one, as we look at Peter and his actions and we look at how Paul talked with him, they didn't get that what you do as a Christian needs to come out of what you believe. That what you do as a Christian needs to come out of what you believe. If you believe Jesus came for the lost, if you believe that, yet you never share the gospel with your lost neighbor, then where do your actions come from? Are they coming from what you believe? I mean, you tell me you believe that Jesus came for the lost and right next door to you, some of you I've seen your neighborhoods, they literally live 10 feet from you. But yet, They've never once heard you speak the gospel to them. Are you living what you believe or are your actions revealing what you believe? Or maybe you hoard all your money. You never lend a hand to anybody in need. But yet you see passages in scripture about caring for the orphan, caring for the widow, caring for the needy. You see, if you believe the gospel, then it changes your actions. It's going to change your actions and what you do. But secondly, they didn't get that what you do actually shows what you really believe. I just mentioned that a second ago. When we live in a way that is not unifying, right? We, I, this was a big sentence for me as I read this in his book. And so I, I hope you catch this. When we live in a way that is not unifying, we show that our differences is really what justifies us. Did you catch that? So when we come in here, and we all say we are saved by the grace of God. But yet, Jane sits over there because Bill is over there. And they have differences that I just can't work with them. Well, is your difference grace? Is your difference the person of Jesus Christ? Well, no, it's, you know, they did this to me. So then that is what justifies you because you're saying you guys cannot be unified here and worship together. I mean, that, that is what we're staying. That's, what our, that's where we're claiming our flag. We're staking it right here, that this is what's important. You see, Peter 
would worship with the Gentiles. But as soon as some men came from James, he picked his flag up and said, my flag is now in circumcision. This is what justifies, because I'm separating myself from you. Now justification comes from circumcision, not Christ. And so when we're not unified, it really shows what justifies us, right? We, we set up this whole new justification process. There's one that I run into a lot in our circles, and I, I don't know if this is recorded or not. I guess I don't care. But I come across people, what translation of the Bible do you read? I, I read a good one, I guess. I try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, but, yeah, but which, one, which one do you read? And then so finally I, I'll answer. Well, I read out of a New King James when I preach, but I also quote ESV a lot in other verses. And, oh, you, oh you, don't, you don't use King James Version? Uh, I mean, I read it when I study. This is usually how this conversation goes. I, I read it when I study. You know, I, I like it. Sometimes I like how it puts it better than others. And so I'll, I'll quote it and things. And, oh, I instantly realize that me and this person are not unified anymore. And so what has now become our justification is which translation we read. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some really bad translations out there that I wouldn't encourage people to read. But if, if that's where we're staking our flag, then what do we have to do with Christ? Isn't it Christ who unifies us? Isn't it what Jesus has done for us that unifies us? You're saying that my salvation is based off of King James Version? But, I mean, that's not the only one. I, I just say that because that's what came to my head. But we often fall into this trap, I think, as churches. We have our cliques, we have our people we like, and we tend to shun others. And when we shun others, I think it really begins to show our real beliefs and what we think and what we believe. Third, they didn't get that what you do will change what other people believed. I mentioned this as I preached this. When Peter went over to only eating with the Jews, you have to notice in that verse, it says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite. It wasn't just him. It was all of them. So there was a lot of good communion going on amongst Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. But then when Peter decided to take a step over, they all did, even Barnabas. Even Barnabas, who was Paul's companion, who was close to him. Even Barnabas went aside. And so what we realize is as we play this role of hypocrite, your actions have a huge impact on what other people say you believe. Oftentimes your actions play more of a part than your words. And so we have to be careful with that as teachers, as preachers, we must make note of this. We have to do our best to live holy, to live godly lives. Listen, it's just a fact of the matter. When I became a staff member here, Things change in my life that maybe I'm perfectly comfortable doing. But I know that if some of you saw me doing it, it would cause a big stink with you. And so I have a decision to make. Is it worth fighting over or not? Am I going to be live in unity? You know, is this a big issue? Is this something that I, we really need to struggle over? You see, and so I want to do my best to, to teach what I preach, to live out what I preach and not be a stumbling block to those around me. And so there's probably times in my life, no doubt, where I think it is perfectly okay for me to do this and live in the liberty of the Lord. It's not going to affect my conscience at all, but it might affect so-and-so's who's going to be there. And so it's not worth it. It's not worth it because the things of the Lord are better 
than this little liberty here that I want to live in, whatever it may be. And so we must live out our faith and what we say because it does affect what other people believe and what they know. And then fourth, and I think this is a big one. They didn't get that, when you, that what you do changes what you believe. This is so often overlooked. So often is this overlooked in our life. But we slowly slip into a routine. And what happens is that routine, not, it, it doesn't just become our routine, but it, it kind of changes what we believe. And it changes why. I can give you an example of this that I've seen quite a bit, which is heartbreaking. But when you see someone in a family change their sexuality, do you know a lot of times you see a whole family change their belief on sexuality? Do you know why that is? It's because they start living that. And the way that they're living starts to change what they believe. One is so that they can justify their actions. So they can justify what they do. I can take it another step. It becomes really hard to work on Sundays until you start doing it. And then you start to say, well, it's just normal. Well, it's just the culture we live in now. Well, I'm going to retire soon. And my retirement's based off a blank amount of years before retirement or whatever it might be. And we start to talk about it and we start to justify it. And what we see is slowly we start to slip away and our beliefs kind of change about the importance of corporate worship together. I see it as well with family, to be really frank. Ask people, I didn't see you on Sunday. Yeah, we had a special family day. That's already a family day. Us, that's special for us. You can find another day? Again, I'm not saying don't ever do that. I'm not saying if you ever tell that to me, I'm going to think, oh, sinner, hypocrite. I'm not, that's not what I'm thinking. What I'm saying is that becomes a pattern. And that slowly affects what we start to believe. We start to think, I'm okay. I haven't been hit by lightning yet. Uh, I haven't killed anybody, right? I haven't cheated on my wife up to this point yet. I think it's okay. I think it's all right. And so we have to be careful because our actions can even affect what we believe. I, I see this a lot with Christians and what they watch on TV or the music that they listen to. You listen to that? Are you, you're watching that show? Is it really that good? Ah, I don't like those parts. Okay. You're saying it's not, it doesn't have an impact on you or what? You know, I, I'm guilty of it just as much as anybody else. I'm not just picking on people. I'm just saying oh, we start to work that into our life and it starts to change what we believe. Lastly, what I think we see in all of this is we see our need for the power of the gospel daily. Because if you're like me, as I read through this list of how we slip into hypocrisy, not believing the truth, fear of man more than God, loving man more than God, not understanding the importance of our actions, what I see is I see how I fail so regularly. And what I'm reminded of is my desperate need for the gospel on a daily basis. It's not just something I needed when I was seven years old and I was saved and now that's over. It's something that I need to be reminded of every single day so that when I lay my head down on my pillow and I say, God, again, I did it today. I, I was a hypocrite in this area. I listened to man over you. Forgive me. When I let the gospel penetrate my heart every day, I'm reminded, I do forgive you. I did forgive you and I love you. I love you still. And when I see God working in my life and I can lay down at night sometimes and say, you know what, God, 
I did, I did pretty good today. I did better than I did yesterday. But it's because of you and the power of the gospel that lives in my life. Because of what you've done for me. Thank you. Thank you for growing me. Thank you for, for helping me. We need the gospel every day. We need to let it penetrate our heart. We need it to show us that we don't have to fear man, that we, that we don't have to please man, but that we can be comfortable with who we are in Christ, accepted, redeemed, made alive in him, adopted into his family. These are things that the world cannot do. These are things that you cannot do on your own. It is the gift of God. And so we must remember this each and every day. I don't know how often you do this. I catch myself doing this and I get mad at myself, but I'll start reading a passage of scripture. And I'm like, yes, I know this. I'm just going to skip ahead. You ever done that before? You just start skimming kind of really fast. Like, okay, I get the story of Joseph. I've read it a hundred times. Let's skip ahead. That, that's kind of this bad mentality. Of, I don't need this today. I've got this down. But when I preach a sermon or study a sermon like this, I, I realize, no, no, you don't. I need those things every day. I need to be reminded of that. And so I hope it's a good reminder for you. I hope that you will win those daily battles of being a hypocrite, that you won't put that mask on, but you will be who you are in Christ, proud, unashamed, not being rude about it, but being grace-filled and loving to those around you and letting them know it's because of the work he's done in me, not of myself, but because of him. And you can have it too, if you'll believe. So I hope that you'll do that. Let's bow together and let's pray. God, I thank you for the reminders that you give us in your word over and over again for our desperate need for the gospel. It's not just some children's story for us to know and to memorize and then move on. But when we are saved by the gospel, it really, it changes us. It changes who we are. It changes our outlook on life. It changes the way we view the world and the things of the world. We bounce everything off of your word and your holiness. And so God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to understand the gospel in a way that it does penetrate our heart each and every day. And so that we're amazed every day at what you have done for us, that it would give us joy to go out and to serve you. God, I pray that you would help us to fear you above all things. Help us to love you above everything. God, you've given us so many things in this world to love, and those are good things, families and friends, spouses, being able to work, all these different things. They're, they're good things that you have given us, but God, so often we turn those good things into bad things because we set them up as idols. We worship them. God, help us to not do that. Help us to faithfully always worship you above all things be checking ourselves and to making sure that we're being honest with you and that we're being honest with ourselves as we look at your word and the truths of it. God, help us to be bold for you. Help us to be faithful to you and our walk with you. And God, I pray that you would help us to see you work in our lives, yes, but also in the people around us. Give us confidence. Give us assurance of who we are in you so that we can be bold. And God, we want to praise you as we get to work for you and serve you. God, as we leave this place tonight, watch over us. I do pray that you would give us safety as we 
travel home. I pray for the youth who are away at a road tour tonight and Lucas as he's preaching to them over there at the Hazley's house. But God, we want to honor you with everything we say and everything we do. So help us to do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.